somewhere it was just kind of kismet, right? But that as we explored that and as we worked together, we were able to grow our writing careers together, which was really kind of amazing too. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I talk with Sherry Medini, who is half of the book, Parenting While Working From Home, a monthly guide to help parents balance their careers, connect with their kids, and establish their inner strength. Now, I say she's half of this book because she co-authored the book with Carissa Tunis, who wasn't able to join us for today's conversation, but I wanted to talk to Sherry Medini about a couple of different things. First of all, Sherry and Carissa are co-owners of the popular parenting website, adorethemparenting.com, and with six kids between them and over a decade of work from home experience, they're the perfect people to talk to all of us who've been trying to juggle this new work from home kind of life that we have morphed into through this time of COVID. So I talk with Sherry, of course, about what it means to work from home as a parent, about how to create work-life balance, whatever that means, about how to be present with our kids and also present with our Uh, work that we do during the day. But I also talk with her about a bunch of different elements of the publishing process. I talk with her about co-writing, what it's like to partner with someone on writing a book, which is a little less common than you might think. I talk with her about the team that helps you put a book together. And I talk with her about how this opportunity to write this book and put it in the world unfolded for she and Carissa. And I love, as she tells her story, you'll see all of these moments of kind of serendipity or kismet or what seemed like luck. I think this is a part of the process that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. I love the story she tells about how she found her current agent and lots of other publishing talk that's going to help you if you have a book idea that you would like to maybe publish someday or if you're still deciding. So it's all very exciting. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Sherry Medini. All right. I'm here with Sherry Medini. Hi, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So a lot I want to talk to you about today. I know you have a new book out and I want to talk to you both about the content of that book and also what it was like to sit down and actually write the book, what inspired it and what your process for writing was like. But I'll start this conversation the same place that we always start with these conversations, which is with the question, what does it mean to you to find your voice? Yeah, I love this question. It got my wheels spinning. But the thing that came to mind was, you know, in my personal experience that finding your voice is a process. Mm, (laughs) Um, You have to write a lot in order to find that. When I look back, you know, at some of the early articles that I wrote, I started blogging and writing parenting articles about a decade ago. So to look back on those, it's funny to see I was emulating other people and I was imitating some of that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That was how we learn. That's how we grow. But over the last 10 years of writing in some way or another, almost every day, your writing takes on 
its own voice. It totally does. Yes. And it's, I mean, it's like anything else. It, it turns into that muscle memory of like, mm-hmm. this is just what flows. This is how my words come out. So I don't know. I know there's there's ways that you can do that ex- exploration and try to f- to kind of consume and understand where you want to come from. But at the end of the day, you kind of just have to write. I know. Yeah. That's, I'm so glad you said that because when I teach writing workshops, one of the activities that I'll give writers is I'll have them bring with them a book that they really admire or respect or a book that they love that they've gone back to over and over again. And I'll have them start by just recording word for word, like flipping open to a page in the book and just writing whatever's on the page until they feel like they want to veer off the path and write their own thing. And sometimes you'll write a couple of words. Sometimes it's a few sentences. Sometimes it's a few paragraphs before you feel like you have your own thing you want to say. But what it's designed to show people is that we learn by mimicry. It's the same way we learn how to speak when we're young is first by mimicking the people around us and then by learning to string together our own words to create our own ideas. And it's just that's the same way that we learn how to write. So that idea of just turning this into a habit and integrating that habit into your daily life, something that you go back to over and over again, that at some point after all the mimicry, after we read all these books that we love and we have these authors that we admire and respect, at some point we have to go, I'm going to lean on my own my own intuition here. I'm going to lean on my own voice and try to figure out what that is and what that wants to be in the world. Yeah. That's what's really beautiful about the digital space too, is that as we have opportunities to write a little bit more casually, to kind of break those rules, to kind of do what we want in a blog post. Formatting doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's a different style and it has allowed for some experimentation. I think your point of there are some of those rules, unwritten rules, that if you're writing in a certain genre, there's a certain expectation. Readers are expecting it to flow a certain way. And there's some people that are so talented that they can break those rules and it doesn't matter and they start their own thing. But it is important to consume what's out there. And I love that that's how you approach that activity is that start here. This is tried and true and yeah. see what you can add to it. Yeah. That's such a good point about the experimentation of the digital world. I hadn't I hadn't put that together exactly that way, but it's really that's really an important point for writers out there. So, speaking of which, what was it that made you after years of blogging and writing articles about parenting, there's a switch to to turn and say I want to turn this into a book. What was it that made you want to do that? I think the book was always the goal. That Uh, was always, (laughs) even from a little girl, like getting to be an author was the dream. So Carissa and I, who I co-authored the book with, we were very purposeful about building Adore Them Parenting, our parenting website and community, knowing that we wanted to lead to more. As to the question of why this book? Yeah you know, obvious timing that Carissa and I had been working from home for over a decade ourselves. But with so many fellow parents being thrown into this for the first time, it was an amazing opportunity to be able to share those strategies and inspiration of like, here's what's worked for us. Maybe it'll help you too. Yeah. 
I want to get into the content of the book at some point in this conversation, especially selfishly, because like I said to you before we started recording, I have a seven month old at home at the time that we're recording this and she was born into a pandemic. And so I've kind of never known anything different. And yet at the same time, I'm 37 years old, was 37 when I had her and spent a lot of my life not having the complication of trying to be a parent at the same time that I'm working. And it's a lot. It's, I mean, so many parents are facing this right now, whether you're homeschooling your kids or whether you had a baby like I did in the middle of the pandemic. I know we have a handful of listeners at least who are in that position. Regardless, like we're balancing more than we've ever been balancing. And it's a lot. And maybe even I would call it too much. (laughs) So I'm excited to get into that part of the conversation. But before we go there, I do want to talk about the writing process because especially co-writing. Can we start there? I've written 13 books in my life. 10 of them have been for other people. Three of them are my own. I've never co-authored a book. Although ghostwriting, it's definitely a collaborative task. But what is it like to co-author a book? I loved it. Okay. <laughs> I will also say we've we've been getting this question. I will say it has to be the right person. Yeah. That as you know, I mean, writing your own book is such a personal experience. And it's also very different than a lot of other writing that I can't edit this after it goes to print. Yeah. I can't just draft this if I decide I don't want it out there anymore. And you know, hopefully this is a lifelong thing that this book is out in the world for the foreseeable future. And you need to have that inherent trust with someone to have such a big project out there that there's no taking back. So can you give a little history on your relationship to Carissa? Like I'm, I'm curious what made her the right partner for this? I think it just fell into place. We met probably about five years ago on the playground through a mutual friend (laughs) and we had kids similar ages, but even more than that, it was kind of just an uncanny thing that we saw eye to eye on a lot. We had very similar values in what we wanted to make a priority, what we wanted for ourselves personally and for our families. But it was fun to come together because we had different approaches for how we came at things and different backgrounds. And even just today, we were chatting on the phone and talking about something that she was like, really, I do that too. I didn't know anybody else did that. <laughs> so I think in you know somewhere it was just kind of kismet, right? But, but the other thing that as we explored that and as we worked together, we were able to grow our writing careers together, Sure, which was really kind of amazing too. Yeah. So in terms of the day-to-day process of actually writing a book, I'm trying to wrap my brain around the workflow of co-authoring because I know exactly how I do my thing and I shut myself in a room and it's like all quiet and I, you know, pound something out and it's a terrible, terrible first draft and then I come (laughs) back to it. And then also I know the difference between a sense that I've tapped into my own voice versus I'm like trying too hard to write something. So when you're working with someone else on a project, what does that look like? So what we did, we had a very detailed outline. We also, the way our book is laid out, each chapter is a different month of the year. You know, parenting in July is very different than parenting (laughs) in December. Sure. So we laid it out that way. But within each chapter, there's a section for you, the parent, that self-care, self-growth 
aspect. There's a section for the kids. How do we connect with the kids? What are some activity ideas? Kind of that parenting advice. Sure. And then there's the work from home section. So career advice, time management, all of that good stuff. So since it was broken down into all these segments, we took the outline and we looked at that together. And there were certain things where I was like, I want to run with that one. I have a lot of ideas. And she would be like, I feel really inspired about that one. Sure. So we essentially split them in half and did that first draft. And then we flip-flopped. And I took all of her sections and added my own ideas, you know, would edit some things. And then for this particular book, since we signed our book deal when Carissa's fourth baby was three weeks old. So her capacity to do this. I don't know how she did it. Honestly, I mean, when things got hard and I was like, well, at least I'm sleeping at night. Like, it'll be fine. Like, I'm doing okay. But then it was kind of helpful. I did that last, before turning in the manuscript, I did that final edit that was really comprehensive. And I knew I had the entire book in my head, you know? Yeah. But being able to do that, the other choice that we made when co-authoring that was the entire book, we're not flipping back and forth. It's not like, oh, Carissa's here talking now. Oh, Sherry's here talking now. Because that wasn't the point. The point wasn't where the information was coming from. The point was just to communicate these ideas and this information. So even we were a little bit curious how it would all turn out. And, And it was really, we were so happy with where we came from. That voice aspect, since my background is more in like business writing and marketing and digital strategy, those kind of things, I tend to write a little bit more professional, a little bit more businessy. And she tends to write a little bit more personable, a little bit more heartfelt. And it was just such a nice way to blend those two together sure. so that we were really happy with with how the final combined voice turned out. Yeah. I'm getting really nitty gritty here because I am filtering this through my process, but one of the the issues I know that you would run into when you try collaborative writing, I've run into this with our website writing because I've moved from being like started out as a personal brand. It was like, hire me. My name's Allison. I'll help you write your book. And now it's like, we're find your voice. And we have a handful of coaches and writers and editors who are working with us to help you get your book into the world. And, and when we write copy for the website or when we write emails that go out to our list, it's not me anymore. It used to just be like, Hey, I know what it feels like to be an author who doesn't know what the heck they're doing. Cause I was like that when I was you. And in 2010, I quit my job and I wanted to write a book. And now when I sit down to write, I can't rely or lean as much on the personal story element as I could sure. before. And I'm curious if you bumped into that, like, were there moments when you're like, well, the example that I was going to give was from my personal story, but I can't really share a personal story if we're saying we. So there are sections of this book where it is more personal experience and we shift to that I. Mm -hmm. The reader doesn't necessarily know who, (laughs) which one is the I, (laughs) but it was also interesting because it did enable us to take ourselves out of it a little bit more and make sure we were considering the readers are coming at this from so many different perspectives that there's a section for, I believe, June when Father's Day is, and we're kind of writing about, you know, appreciating dads. But even that, like, it's important to remember that so many people have different relationships. Dads might be in their life. They might not be. be. They might. And so- 
while that was difficult, we also gave ourselves some permission for that. Like she, I live in Pennsylvania. She lives in South Carolina. Her winters look very different than mine do. Uh, So some of that we kind of gave ourselves leeway to talk about things that might not be universally a personal experience, but that as long as as it was adding helpful insight, you know, we kind of let that go. Yeah. Okay. One more process question before we move on to talking about the content of the book. I'm wondering if there were, I know there are, but wondering who were the other players in creating this book that now exists out there in the world that you can go purchase at a bookstore. This is, we have a lot of aspiring authors who listen to the show. And I think it's always shocking to people, the number of people who have their hand in a project like this. So I'm curious if you can talk about the other people on your team. The interesting thing, this was interesting for me because I see this in a lot of my writers groups and especially in the fiction community, you know, the conversations around, do I need to hire an editor myself? Do I, I need my beta readers. I need this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. Because this project happened on a very short timeline. Short timeline. Um, I was going to say, if you were signing a, you were signing a book contract when Carissa had a three week old and you said that her child is eight months. So we, we signed with our literary agent in May. We signed our book deal in July and our book hit bookshelves in January. Okay. Hold on. People (laughs) listening need to know how absolutely absurd that is. Like a typical timeline for publishing is 18 months to three years. We were looking initially when we started the process, thinking that it would be a January 2022 launch. Okay. And this was not the book that we went on submission with. Interesting. This was a book in our book proposal. And they said, we want that book and we need it in a month. Can you do that? And we were like, um, sure, sure. We'll do it. We'll make oh, it happen. We'll run with it gosh. because this is an opportunity of a lifetime, right? How do you say no to that? How do you sure. say no to having a book yes. out in the world in a couple months? Yeah. So it was completely crazy. So because of that, it really was a lot of Carissa and I, because since we were already co-authoring, mm. we wanted to be careful of how many other voices we added to this because we were sure. already feeling like we had to juggle a lot on a very short timeline. That being said, our agent was incredible from the beginning of this, that even putting that book proposal together, she was able to jump right in and she's so talented in that she could match our voices. You know, there were things yeah. like in that book proposal, sample chapters that she would like add a paragraph and it would just flow right through, or she would be able to add you know, have you thought about this angle or, you know, maybe add something here? So she was so helpful. Once we turned in our manuscript to our editor, we expected there to be a lot of shifts. And that was not the case. She was like, this looks great. I'm going to change some like grammar (laughs) stuff. And, you know, I don't know when to use hyphens or what kind of, you know, (laughs) those kind of things, right? Nobody does. Nobody does. I mean, except for the copy editors out there. Exactly. So that was a little bit surprising that we turned our manuscript in expecting to kind of go back to the drawing board on some things or rearrange or whatever. It was interesting that it at least put us in a point where we didn't overthink it because Getting feedback after the fact, you know, if we ask five different people to read this and give input, they're going to tell us five different ways to say it. And at some point, you have to just trust that there's value in in what you have to share. I mean, obviously, it it looks very different. There were great 
tidbits and things that that people were able to add a long way. But all of that to say, there weren't as many hands on this project as you would typically think either. And I do think part of that is the timeline aspect. The timeline. But I'm also kind of appreciative for that. Sure. I love, no one has ever talked about that on this show before, but I think it's really important what you're saying. This idea that you can ask people's opinion unto eternity and you will get a hundred different opinions from a hundred different people. And at some point when you're putting your name on the cover of a book, you have to be willing to take ownership and accountability over just saying, this is the way that I chose to talk about this. This is the story that I chose to tell. This is the approach that I took. This is the voice that I have. It may not please every single person who picks it up and reads it, but I stand behind it and I stand by it. That was an approach that we've learned through our website writing as well, that in order to be able to sit in that, it didn't. It never felt comfortable to sit there and tell another parent, do this and do it sure. this way and do it on this timeline yeah. because we've experienced that as parents. Like with my first son, that was nothing like I expected. He, yeah. he didn't sleep. Like it was just like one of those things where I'm like, I thought babies were supposed to nap. Are we, am I missing something here? (laughs) So like we understand we've been through enough of this parenting journey to know that there are no absolutes. There are phases of life. There are different ways to get through it. So how can we share this is what worked for us? And maybe this idea out of the box will work for you. But maybe it'll just spark something for you to think about this in a different way. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I said only one more process question, <laughs> but I have to ask you this other question because, because this is the number one question that I get from people and that we get at Find Your Voice. I'm curious if you can talk about how you found your agent. Yes. It was a long process. So as fast as our agent to pub date timeline was, we were querying agents for over a year. Wow. And looking at those initial query letters, I understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Because when we first started, we were like, let's just throw this out there and see what happens. Yeah. And what happened was we didn't put in the time and effort to really learn that process. Like, as you know, each step of this is an industry within itself. I mean, even doing the book proposal and stuff, I'm like, I can't tell you the amount of hours I spent researching comparative titles alone, you know? Oh my gosh, yes. And so each segment of that and our first round of queries, we went through the guide to literary agent and basically just threw everything against the wall. This is amazing. It's what I tell authors to do. I'm like, you can literally Google who are literary agents that work on creative nonfiction or whatever genre you're you're writing in and their names are there on the internet with their contact information. So they're there. It's no secret. So we sent out so much. Now we kind of took a break from that. The second go around, we were a little bit more purposeful about doing that research so that we were finding people that we did feel like would be a good fit. Mm. The manuscript wishlist.com is a fantastic resource. Agents are able to make their profile and say, this is what I'm looking for. Here's a little bit about me. 
And it's just kind of like a matchmaking service. So you can search that website for exactly what you were talking about. That was a huge resource. We also, our agent that we ended up with was in our first round of querying. And she was one of the ones that had given us some positive feedback Mm. that we were like, okay, here we are a year later. We've been working on our platform for the last year. And we hit that hard, that SEO, those email subscribers. We were really, really purposeful about focusing on that so that we were in a better place to sell this nonfiction book. We looped back around to her and she gave us a very nice, like, no, (sighs) but here's some ideas of how you might be able to improve that. And we were like, if we do those things, are you interested in rereading? And she was like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Send it my way. And within a two-week turnaround, we we're like, let's make these changes. Let's make this happen. Let's give her idea a spin of the direction we could go with this and send it back to her. And she offered us representation. Amazing. Which, amazing. And we're so grateful that you know, from there, she was able to be really helpful with what, you know, even just sending a template of the book proposal. This is what this looks like. You know, this is how to phrase things. To have someone in the industry on your team was huge. It makes a big difference. And it sounds like it was worth the wait. you found someone. Not every agent is willing to be that involved with content. So to have someone, my agent is like this too, who can, you know, get his hands in the content and help you develop an idea. That's a, I think it's a huge gift. It's, it's for me like a non-negotiable with an agent. So, okay. Let's talk about the content of the book. Can you just give us like your pitch? If you were, if someone was like, tell me what your book is about, what do you say? So, I mean, it's parenting while working from home, yeah. pretty self-explanatory <laughs> on its face. The subtitle is A Monthly Guide to Help Parents Establish Their Careers, Connect with Their Kids, and Establish Their Inner Strength. Mm. And the whole goal of this book, we know parents are really busy. We wanted something that you can pick it up and get some helpful advice, put it back down, and revisit it later. Also, a pet peeve of mine is when a book spends an entire book explaining one or two concepts. Um, So we really went the other direction. We're like, we are going to pack this full with those practical tips. But the monthly format is a way to be able to revisit that. So I know in my own personal life, I would go through phases where like six months would fly by and we'd still be facing those same issues or Hmm. we'd still be struggling with some of those same things. So We have journal prompts at the beginning and end of each chapter as well. So to set those monthly intentions and then to do monthly reflections to make sure that you're just taking a few minutes to tune in and say what worked really well this month and also what's something that we need to go back to the drawing board about. Yeah, that's so helpful. Again, you know, I'm, I had a baby in the midst of a pandemic, so I kind of have known no other life other than, you know, like the last 12 months for the most part, we, we recently, as we started to feel a little more comfortable with COVID, we have had some childcare and that has been such a game changer. But for most of this, we had no childcare. You know, I'm working full time. Like people talk about a maternity leave. I barely took a maternity leave because I was just working from home anyway and running my own business. So I can kind of conceptualize what some of the biggest challenges uh, sort of, but I also feel like I also don't know another world. So I'm curious if you know, like, what are the biggest problems that parents are facing during this time that are, that are new? And maybe some of them aren't new, but what are the biggest problems parents are facing? 
It really does depend on the ages of your kids. Like what you're in right now is so intense. You know, I know Carissa mentioned, she's like, if the baby needs me, he'll cry. Yeah. <laughs> like it is very clear <laughs> and he needs me a lot. Yeah. And I have to work in these like 15 minute bursts of time. Right. And I'm sure your baby is at this stage too, where like you can't really hold them on your lap and type anymore because yep. <laughs> yep. they're typing for you. Totally. Yeah. And <laughs> Touching everything, slamming her hands on all of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that looks very different than, you know, the stage that now I'm at where both of my kids are elementary age. And even within that, when we were virtual schooling in the fall, my work schedule had to look way different than now they're in school, back in school full time. And I'm able to, you know, work for hours at a time yeah. and then shift gears. But to that point of my 10 year old doesn't always let me know when he needs me directly. Sure. And I have to be a little more purposeful about tuning in and I'll even just literally going in, if he's playing a video game, like sitting down beside him. And, yeah. you know, I, the other night it was just so sweet that I'm like, I didn't say anything. I just like walked in and sat down beside him. And he ended up giving me this like 30 minute lecture about the video game he was playing and all the ins and outs. <laughs> and like, he was so excited to like share all of this. And he was fine on his own. I could have gone off and done something else, but mm -hmm. Going in and spending a little bit of that time with him, it wasn't complicated. It wasn't hard. I didn't have to plan anything. It was just being intentional in that moment. But to answer your question of like, what are people facing? I think you're right. That what you said at the top of the show, that sometimes it feels like too much. Yeah. And something that Carissa and I are really, really intentional about is simplifying most areas of our life. Thank and God. yes, I mm. mean, I don't... It's the only way. I have very little patience for the busy work. You know, so we're trying to always look at what are the priorities? What's most important? Knowing I have limited time in my day, what's going to make the biggest impact for my family, for my house, mm -hmm. for my work? Something that Carissa writes about in the book and that I've adopted into my own life is taking this approach and because we get asked a lot, how do you balance your days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we say, we don't, yeah. we zoom out. And my goal is to balance my week or my sure. month, depending on where we're at. But what Carissa has done, she, since we run our own business as well and have that flexibility, we're able to set work days, house days, and family days. Mm. And yes, it's a game changer. So Obviously, there's things that have to happen every day. Maybe you have to answer those emails. You're going to have to pack the kid lunches and all of that good stuff. But in those spare moments on a work day, I'm not feeling guilty about my kids having extra screen time or yeah. them seeing me spend a lot of time on my phone or my laptop. It's a work day. I'm getting as much done as I can. I'm really focused. I know what I'm doing. I have my to-do list and I'm going to knock out a ton of stuff yeah. that day. Then I can shift gears. And I also know that I have a family day coming up. And that doesn't have to mean a big excursion. It means like, maybe we play that board game <laughs> that we haven't totally. played. Maybe we go to the park. Like that I'm just spending that quality time because then we all, that's restorative for all of yeah. us. And we are able to reconnect. And then those house days are often like, okay, this has got to, gotten out of control. <laughs> We've all been so Rain busy it in, everyone. <laughs> that it's like, 
all hands on deck. Like, let's go. Let's whip the house into shape. And then we can kind of let it go for a little a little while. But that means I'm changing, switching laundry all Mm -hmm. day long, you know, those kind of things. And if we can really pick those priorities and understand that we don't have to do it all, all within one day, like you, I think, especially at this point in our lives, my day to day can look really, really different. And there's this pressure to have like, okay, at 7am you do this and at 8am you do this. But then as you know, then Baby starts cutting a tooth and is really fussy and won't let you put her down. So guess what? Things have to change. You adjust and your expectations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What I love about that is two things. As I filter that through my own experience, two things I know would, would shift for me. Number one is it allows you to be present where you are. Because one of the biggest tensions for me in motherhood that I didn't know to expect was this feeling like when I'm working, I feel guilty, like I should be with her, especially even if I'm here and our child cares here and is with her. If I can hear her giggling in the other room or crying in the other room, I'm like, Oh, I'm missing it. She needs me, you know? And then when I'm with her, I can oftentimes feel like I'm getting behind on work. I've got 200 emails. I need to catch up. Someone needs something from me and I'm not there for them. So that ability to just go like, no, today is a family day. Today is a you know, today's my day to be with my daughter or today's my day to be working on my computer. This is where I'm supposed to be being a hundred percent where I am is that's the first thing I think it helps you do. And then the second thing I really love about that is another one of these burdens of parenting that I didn't expect is decision fatigue. I had no idea. And it kind of started when I was pregnant, when people would ask like, are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to sleep train? And you're like, I don't even your baby registry. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, I don't even, yeah. What kind of stroller are you going to use? And you're like, I'm literally like learning a whole new language for the very first time. I feel like I was telling my husband, I feel like it's like you've been working in one industry for 20 years and you figured it out and then you, you get fired from your job and you have to start in this new industry and learn a whole new language and a whole new way of doing things on three hours of sleep every night. And then the other thing that would happen too is my husband and I both do this to each other, but like when our daughter would cry when she was really little, he would be like, what should we do? Should we, should we put her down? Should we? And I, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, why are you asking me? I have no idea. You decide. You you made her. I don't know. So that idea of decision fatigue when you're like, it can feel like a lot to even make small decisions. What's for breakfast? So when you can put things on autopilot like that, like, Every Monday for breakfast, this is what we make. Then it takes the burden of that decision off of your plate. And if you can plan ahead for some of those, so that brings to mind something else that I recommend, like have a 10-minute to-do list Mm. that ahead of time, write out, maybe put it in a Google Doc that you can grab it on your phone or wherever. But how often do we lose those little moments in time? Because we're like, well, maybe I should unload the dishwasher or maybe I should vacuum or maybe I should just (laughs) snuggle my baby or maybe I need to lay down and close my eyes or maybe I need to respond to a couple emails. Like you waste 10 minutes feeling overwhelmed by what you should do with that 10 minutes. So go to your list and be like, okay, it's a work day. I'm going to knock out a work task in those 10 minutes or whatever that is. Or what do I need right now? Like there's times where you're going to be able to be a better mom, be more productive. If you do go lay down 
for 10 minutes and truly close your eyes and take a couple deep breaths and maybe set your alarm so you don't actually fall asleep. (laughs) But, you know, to do those kind of things that so many minutes in our day go by and it doesn't mean you have to be productive every moment of every day. Like something else that we talk about is when we worked in an office setting, there were constant interruptions. You know, your coworkers are popping in, you're getting phone calls, you need a break and you go around and chat. So shifting so that when we're working from home as parents and getting frustrated with those interruptions, remembering that even when you were in an office scenario, you likely were not tuned in and productive from nine to five. So giving yourself permission to go run around with your kids in the yard and then come back. Yeah. And- you know, doing those kind of things. And you don't have to tell anyone about it. I think we've gotten into such a habit of like, if I do this, I should post it on social media. Or (laughs) if my boss emails me and I'm at the playground, I need to be like, sorry, I'm at the playground. I'll get it to you later. You don't have to say any of that. You can just say, I'll send it to you in an hour. Yes. I'll get it to you. Or if there's not a deadline, don't set one for yourself. Just say, I'll look at it and get it back to you. Yep. Done. Professional, easy, guilt-free. And you do what you want with your life. Can you talk about, that brings up this question for me, the adjustment of expectations that's had to come with this shift in our, like, I feel like I have to remind myself constantly, this is a massive global shift that in one year we have all experienced together. We went from one way of living and operating in in the world to like all of the rules thrown out the window. Everything is different. That's a lot to handle on its own without the practicals of the day-to-day. So yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about adjustment of expectations. You're right. There's been a big shift. I think something since Carissa and I were work-from-home, stay-at-home moms previously, mm-hmm. um, but we had gotten used to a new normal. <laughs> we kind of had to like be, remind ourselves like, okay, what did we used to do all day? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did we do this? I'm writing the book was a good reminder of like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I should start doing that again. But you're right. There was this really big shift, but I think it goes back to it's okay. It gave us all permission to let go of a lot yes. and to tap into what truly matters mm-hmm. for us. And I hope, I hope that people don't just go back to you know, what it was that I hope we don't go back to over scheduling and doing things because we think someone else thinks that we should do them, that we can stay true to us and our families and grow with that and be really careful about what we add back into our lives because we were given, well, given or, you know, forced into a situation where we had to go back to basics and, that can, we can use that as a really good tool and lesson moving forward. I, that's so important. I'm taking, that's the one thing I'm taking. I always try to take one thing from every conversation I have. And that's the one thing I'm taking. Be careful about what you add back in to your life. Before the pandemic happened, I was on an airplane once a week. I was, um, I don't actually know how I would have sustained that through the pregnancy. I think I, in my head, I just thought being pregnant was like this, Thing that was happening on the side, but like my life would go on as normal, <laughs> right. you know? Right. So I don't know how I would have sustained that. Like in some ways for as difficult as the, this pandemic has been for me and, and even harder for other people, that was a great grace that I got this opportunity to, to come to a crashing halt. 
and and to clear away all the stuff that didn't matter and really hyper-focus on priorities, I think it would be a total shame if at the end of this, we all started adding stuff back into our lives that we didn't actually want to be part of our lives or that wasn't good for us. When I think you made such a great point that we had gotten so good at ignoring our own internal voice. Mm -hmm. We had gotten so good at, yeah, I'm pregnant, but it's not a big deal because I can't let it be a big deal. You know, you're like, no, you're growing a human. Like that's a big deal. And that doesn't mean you can't do amazing things, but it does mean that you might have some health stuff and you might be more fatigued and you might, and we had gotten to that point where we were just used to, we were used to ignoring our own bodies. Mm -hmm. We were used to ignoring the voices that were, you know, our gut instincts and being alone, you know, for a year with, I mean, I'll speak personally that I have never spent so much time with myself and with my my two sons and my husband, who I am the most me around, that it gave me this opportunity to understand myself in a different level and then be able to take that out into the world instead of, you know, constantly looking at it through like a marketing lens of, you know, who's my target audience? What sure. do they want? How should I phrase this? You know, whatever. <laughs> Even though I wouldn't call myself a people pleaser, we all have that within us to some extent. Yeah. Just like whatever you're reading becomes a part of your voice, whoever we're interacting with becomes a part of who we are. And to be like, okay, you don't get to interact with anybody now. Yeah. Who are you? Who are you now? That's a, I mean, it. it's not easy to navigate and figure out, but if we can sit with that, we can find fulfillment in a better way. Mm. That's such a beautiful statement and a really perfect way to end this conversation. I think Thank you so much for being here, Sherry. And I know Krista is here in spirit. Your book is called Parenting While Working From Home. And it's available everywhere books are sold. So if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you are now working from home, then make sure you go pick up a copy of their book. Where else can they find out more about you or what else do you have to offer that, that people might be interested in? Yeah. So if you go to our website, adorethemparenting.com, you can find a whole bunch of articles, printables, sign up for our email newsletter, all of that fun stuff. And you can reach out directly. You know, We're always happy to hear from anyone and answer anything as best we can. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Cherry. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.